Happy Resurrection Sunday. What a blessing. You know, the, I like Happy Resurrection. I, I was never a big into Easter. Uh, and the reason is, is, you know, for hundreds of years, the church has used the term Easter. And it's not like anybody's going to go to hell for saying that, of course. <laughs> but uh, Easter wasn't celebrated in the early church. But Easter has its roots, actually, in ancient uh, pagan religion after a female goddess, uh, Eostre or Ostara, goddess of spring or fertility. And the name Easter actually probably goes back even further than that into the Babylonian uh, uh, pagan religion where Ishtar was uh, worshipped and she was a god of fertility and uh, many other things. But, um, but that is why, you know, the, laying, the bunnies laying of eggs and things like that really don't have any foundation in the Bible. Are they fun for kids? Certainly. But we don't see those things in the Bible, and there's no foundation of it. Uh, turn with, if you would, excuse me, to Acts chapter 12, just really quickly. Or you can look up on the screen. I just want to share something really quick with you. If you have a New King James Version Bible, you'll notice something. The word Easter is not mentioned in the Bible. Now, you may say, well, you've got something on the screen that says Easter. Yes, but. In our New King James Version Bibles in Acts chapter 12, it says, So when they, he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. The word there uh, for Passover is Pascha or Pasha. And it's literally the Passover. Now, anybody have a King James Version Bible here this morning? If you do, you'll notice the very same passage, the very same passage. It says, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to the four quaternions, intending after Easter to bring him to the people. But the thing is, is in the King James Version, Easter, uh, it's a mistranslation of the original Greek underneath that. And this is just a, a fine point. But the original Greek word is Pascha, or Passover. So this word Easter is not found in the original languages of the Bible, and the New King James Version translators uh, removed it, rightfully so, and put in the correct uh, word for Passover. And it also, you won't find the word Easter in the NASB, the NIV, or the um, NASB, or the NIV. I think I said all those. <laughs> um, and again, just something to take note of. Just something to take note of. I love the idea that it's called Resurrection Sunday because that's exactly what it is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most significant event in all of world history. It's not only recorded for us in the New Testament, but it's prophesied also in the Old Testament. And even secular history tells us and, and shows the, the fact that there was a crucifixion of this character Jesus. And that he did indeed rise again. It was undeniable proof. And it's an inconvenient truth for those who hate God. And are, are there people in the world today that hate God? There are. But you love him. And I love him. Right? But Jesus' birth, his crucifixion, his resurrection, they were so significant. Think about this, folks. And all of the religions of the world... 
what he did, because he's the only one who claimed to be God and to die on the cross and to rise again, telling us in advance that he was going to rise again, fulfilling the prophecies of hundreds of years of Bible history that he would rise on the day that he said, and he did do that. And this was so significant that it changed our calendar, the way we relate to time. It's 2023 this year because of Christ. 2023 AD, what does that mean? Anno Domini. In Latin, it means, or in, it's Latin, but in English it means in the year of our Lord. And then we relate to everything before 1 AD. We, revert to, we refer to that as BC or before Christ. It's always been that way for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This thing that Jesus did, his death, his resurrection, so significant, it changed time. Who else has been able to do that in history? None. <laughs> Only one. Jesus has done that because of the significance of what he did. Now let me ask a question. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then his birth would have no significance either, would it? Because if he just if he you know he claimed to die for us and he was just another martyr of some religious group of people and then he died but he didn't rise again, then we're then it wasn't true. But the fact that he did rise again makes his birth and his crucifixion even more significant. Because without the resurrection, without the resurrection, we'd be hopeless and lost. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We celebrated that on Good Friday. But if he didn't rise from the grave like the Bible foretold us, and if Jesus' own testimony when he said that he would rise again the third day, if all of that was false, then we are all doomed. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then everything that we are doing now and everything that the church has been doing for the last 2,000 years has been a big sham and a big waste of time. I think the Apostle Paul spoke it best. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, he said, If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantages is it to me? If the dead do not rise, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If this resurrection didn't happen, then we are all wasting our time. Think about that. And it wasn't just something that happened in the corner of the world somewhere. No, Jesus, when he rose again, fulfilling the prophecies, not only fulfilling hundreds of years of prophecy, fulfilling his own words, and then finally doing it, and then being seen by, up by hundreds of people afterwards. He was literally walking the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, 10 days before Pentecost. That's pretty significant. There was no excuse for anyone, a Roman, a Gentile, a Jew, it doesn't matter who they were, there was no excuse to see the validity of these facts, not fables, not stories. I want to encourage you in that too. The Bible is not a bunch of stories. It's fact. In fact, it's the only true thing that you can count on with every fiber of your being. When you read the headlines in the news this morning, can you count on the fact that there's no bias, that there's no narrative? Can you count on the fact that, there, that everything that you're reading is true and that there's no slant, there's no trying to put me into, you know, get my mind to be twisting and turning? 
No, but you can, you can focus and, and trust in Jesus Christ. You can trust in his word. He will not lead you astray. He never has and he never will. Why? Because he loves you and he proved it on the cross. I know this is cliche, but I got to do it. How much did he love you? That much, right? He did. He says, I love you this much. As far as the east is from the west, it never meets if you keep going. And he loves you that much. That's how big and wide. That's how far and deep and wide he loves you. But if both are true, and they are, meaning his, his, his death and his resurrection, if both of them are true, then he deserves all of our worship, all of our adoration, all of our praise and thanksgiving. Wouldn't you agree? Seriously, if this is true, and we, I know that it is, and so do you, hopefully. If it is true, then he deserves, folks, all of us. Every, the first fruits of my strength, the first fruits of everything that I have, he deserves everything, and there's nothing that I should withhold from him. Give it all to him. And I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not getting weird here. I'm just saying give your heart completely to him because that's really what he wants. He doesn't want your money necessarily, although you, know, you need money to operate things. And there's an agape box over there when you worship today, if you can do that. But that's not what this is about. He, much, he would much rather have your heart. He owns everything. He doesn't need anything. But the one thing that he finds very valuable is you. He looks down and he sees a world that is lost and completely lost in sin. He goes, I love you. And I want to reach you. I want to have this relationship with you. I want my very life to be in you, that you could experience the joy and the, and the assurance of salvation, even now in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But then even afterwards, when your body finally expires or when the rapture occurs, you're going to be with me. That's what he wants. And I am more than happy to give it to him. <laughs> give it to him. Now, this is why the Apostle Paul stressed the importance of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12, he said this, Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, then how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is empty, it's futile, it's baseless. And you are still in your sins. <laughs> then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be the most pitiable. Right? But the resurrection was the proof. It was the stamp of approval. It was the stamp of approval that, that Jesus is who he said he was. God the Father raised him up by the Spirit and in and, and his resurrection body, and now Jesus has the power over death and hell. Aren't you glad? Jesus, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he says to this, speaking of himself, he says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I also, as if that's not good enough, I also have the, the keys of Hades, hell, and death. He, he holds the keys. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my father loves me and because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And notice, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Meaning to riot, to raise. This command I have received of my Father. This means that Jesus was in complete control on the cross and every moment of his life on this earth. He was in complete control regardless of what the Romans and those who hated him were trying to do. Jesus was no martyr because he willingly gave his life a ransom for many. And his resurrection was also prophesied or typified, if you will, as well, in the Old Testament. And those Old Testament, uh, the New Testament writers understood exactly what was being spoken. And we're just going to look at a couple of these before we get into Luke chapter 24 this morning. But notice, even in the Psalms, David being spoken of as a prophet, he said this in Psalm 16, verse 9 through 11. He says, therefore, my my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we read that, David was thinking of himself, speaking of himself, but also at the same time prophesying of another Holy One who would be the real Holy One, and that would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, notice what Peter said, and he pointed to this very scripture of of Jesus' resurrection. So here's an Old Testament scripture, you know, uh, Psalm 16. And now we have a New Testament, Peter now telling us that that was about Christ. In Acts 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, Peter said, standing in front of this multitude of people, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him and in your midst. As you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held. For David says concerning him, and here Peter quotes that very Old Testament psalm. He says, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also shall rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And as we shall read soon, Jesus' body did not see corruption. There was no decay. He was in the grave for three days, and he rose again. He says, you have made known to me, continuing on here, the ways of life. You will make uh, make me full of joy in your presence. And then Peter says, men and brethren... Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And he did this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. 
that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, that his soul, um, of which we are all witnesses. Notice that. It's not just a, a story that somebody has been handed down. You know, there have been professors in colleges telling their students, oh, it's just a bunch of fables. You know, they passed this, or, this oracle or this um, oral tradition. You know, they would pass down this story, and then little by little it gets diluted, and people keep passing. No, 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 no. Eyewitness accounts. These are eyewitness accounts. People saw this, and they were willing to give their life for what they saw. They experienced it. No one is going to give their life for a lie. But they will when they know that it's true. And especially when they know what he has done for them on the cross. They're like, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want with me. I don't care. Because when my life expires, instant glory. It don't matter where you bury me. Right? I'll be home and I'll be free. Yeah. Remember that? Mary Barrett, I love that song. It don't matter where you bury me. I'm going, I'm going to glory. And so are you if you're a believer. Aren't you excited? But he, go, he says, so this was all about Christ. And what about in Genesis chapter 22? Just one, one more. The angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham as he took his son up on the on Mount Moriah, which we know as the Temple Mount today. And the, and the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Because Abraham, God told him to slay his own son, his only son. And God says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do any harm to him. Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Of course God knew all of this all along. But until the action had taken place, there was always a question mark, is Abraham going to do it? And God knew that he was going to do it. He had to stop him. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And there behind him, thank God, there was a ram caught in its thicket by, by its horns. And so Abraham went and he took the ram. He offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So there is an Old Testament illustration of a substitute that was given in place of someone else. And also, it tells us, well, read with me in Hebrews. Let me just read it to you. Notice what the author of Hebrews says concerning that act that Abraham did. And you can read Genesis 22 and read Hebrews in its entirety and you'll see what I'm speaking of. But in verse 17 of Hebrews 11, what did the author say about that specific event? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. And here it is, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham knew that if he, because of the promises that God had given through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if, he was to, if God was to command him to slay Isaac as a burnt offering, Abraham knew, well, if I put this knife through his chest and, and he dies, then God, you're able to raise him because all the promises are in him. All the promises that you gave me were through him and Jacob and through the, through the 12 tribes. 
And he did it by faith. Put yourself in that position. Knowing that God would raise him from the dead. And he says, and he received him in a figurative sense. Abraham knew instinctively there was something about this. This act that happened on the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, something about this act that has greater, much greater significance. And Abraham had an idea. (laughs) I think God is going to do something later on in history. That's why this is such a big deal. Well, yes, he did. Because another 2,000 or several thousand years later, another father would offer his son Except this time, there'd be no ram caught in a thicket being substituted for Isaac. No, the Son of God, Jesus himself, would be that sacrifice. He would be that propitiation, that substitute for you and for me. The perfect substitute. The ram, not a perfect substitute. But Jesus, the perfect substitute. No longer needing to go through these things ever again. No longer needing another sacrifice. That was one sacrifice. Open with me, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 24. We're going to look through some of this this morning. Luke chapter Notice what it says. So after what we covered on Good Friday, Jesus' death, three days later he rises from the grave. Notice what it says. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The women were coming to add more spices to the wraps that were already wrapped around Jesus. They would lift up the wraps and they would pack these spices and ointments and they would tighten the straps and the wraps that he was wrapped with because he was wrapped with these strips of cloth and they would pack them full of spices for the obvious reason, right? They were assuming that this is it, right? But Matthew's gospel tells us that when, uh, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. It tells us in the other gospel that by the time they got there, that there was an earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. It was a very large stone, a very large stone, several tons. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it, and his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, remember the Roman guards that were there to make sure that it was sealed? They shook in fear, and they became like dead men, wouldn't you? And they opened the tomb. Why? So that Jesus could come out? No. He'd already gone. He passed through that rock. They didn't need to roll back that stone so that Jesus, wrapped in his clothing, could, you know, his strips of cloth could come out all mummified. No, that's not why the stone was rolled away. It was so that they could go in and see, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's not here. He's risen. So that we could peek in and find out what God had done, what God had promised to do. 
And Jesus, in this resurrection body, was able to pass through the rock. A quality of the resurrection body. Going on in verse 3, it says, Now they went in, and, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. John's Gospel in chapter 20, verse 12, tells us that uh, she saw two angels sitting in white, one at the head and at the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you remember the Ark of the Covenant, that box that was covered with gold where the, the, the Ten Commandments were inside of it and some other articles. But the top of that was a mercy seat where the high priest once a year would put blood on it and atone for the sin of Israel. And there were these two golden cherubim, these angels that were looking down upon the mercy seat. And so what do we see here uh, that John's gospel tells us? That when she went into the tomb and she looked in, and I've been to the tomb, how many of you have been to Israel? And you've been to that tomb. You walk in and you look right to your right and over there on the right-hand side, there's, there's, a, there's three different places where people could have, left, could have been laying because that was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But there was one angel on one end and one angel on the other where the sacrifice was in between, where the blood was shed. What does that give you a picture of? The Ark of the Covenant, the very mercy seat. Jesus is that mercy seat. His blood, once and for all. Not just for once a year, but now for all of time. His blood. And it goes on in verse 5 in our, in our text here in Luke 24. Then as they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? These angels said to these women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And there is a good reminder for us as well. Jesus is no longer on a cross. And he's no longer here on earth. There's a man in heaven and there's nothing wrong with the cross, but that's why we don't have a picture or a statue or a, a cross with Jesus on it. Number one, he's, he's risen. And number two, he's, um, he's no longer on the cross. We reverence what happened on that cross, of course. There's no doubt about that. He is not here, they said, but he is risen. Remember how he had spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. Jesus said this to his disciples on more than one occasion. On more than one occasion. I think like three times he told them that these things were going to occur. And they remembered his words, verse 8, and then they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the disciples. And this is interesting in verse 11, and their words seemed to be to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. Isn't that interesting? These are the disciples. These, are, these guys are like the, the, the right stuff. The apostles. The women come and say these things, and they're like, oh, you're, it's over. <laughs> you know, and they're just, you know, downhearted, no doubt. Our Savior's dead, that's it. And didn't Jesus tell them that he would rise a third day? Didn't the scriptures foretell that he would do that? Of course they did. And now it finally happened. The women see it. They see the evidence. They come and tell the apostles, these mighty spiritual giants. 
And I say this not to defame them in any way, but I say it to encourage you because they were the apostles of Christ and yet they struggled, didn't they? And no different than you and I. We struggle, don't we, in in believing certain things? And maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling believing all of these things. Well, you're not alone. Every single person who is born again has, say, has, has had that experience where they had that moment or moments of doubt. And it's okay. But don't stop there. Investigate the claims further and you'll find, as many have, that this is true. I can put my faith unreservedly in Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Master, my King, my God. Amen? But Peter arose and he uh, ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Now John's gospel tells us the same story but gives us a little bit more information. He tells us that John and Peter were both running and that that Peter uh, outran uh, John, or I'm sorry, that John outran Peter, but John didn't go into the tomb. He was on the outside of it, but then Peter came and he ran right in. And notice what it says that when he came in, this is in John 20, verse 6 and 7, that when John went into the tomb, or Peter, he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the language in the original is that the the wraps that surrounded Jesus just collapsed. Why? Because he didn't need to stand up and take this stuff. You know, I need some help here. Look at me, you know. He didn't need that. While he was on that stone limestone slab, he literally was transformed and passed through those wraps. And those wraps just collapsed on themselves. And then he noticed another, the thing that was around his head was folded up off to the side. That's pretty significant. If you're an investigative police officer, if you look into those details, did his disciples steal his body? Not a chance. If they did, they wouldn't be leaving that stuff around. And besides, what about the wraps? They're all, they're, they just folded in upon themselves because he went through them, transformed with a new body. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. There was something about this resurrection body of Jesus that was evidently just different enough that they didn't recognize him And there were unique qualities about this resurrection body. Number one, it was made of flesh and bone. It's very possible there was no blood in Jesus at all because the Bible says in Leviticus that the life is in the blood. So if if the life is in the blood and he doesn't have any blood, then who is powering him? The Spirit of God. The very Spirit of God gave him life and transformed his body and it was just different enough where they were like, you know, I just don't, I don't, hmm, there's something a little bit odd. But he could appear and disappear evidently at will. And according to Revelation in our resurrection body, as well as the resurrection body of Jesus, we will never experience sickness and death. You'll never get a struggle with allergies. Can anyone say amen to that? On April 9th of no allergies, no sickness, no death. You're going to look glorious in your, new, in your new body. For those of you guys who don't have any hair, you're going to have long golden locks. 
If you have a receding hairline, it's all going to be, you don't need Rogaine or anything. It's going to look beautiful. You don't need to put the seeds on your head and water it or anything like that. The Chia pet. You don't need to do any of that. But Jesus pulled alongside of them as they were going to Emmaus. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you've had with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened here these, last day, these days? And he said to them, What things? Did anything significant happen here in Jerusalem in the last couple of days? Don't know. Tell me. Of course Jesus knew. But don't you love how he just draws people out? He throws out the bait, waits for you to bite, and then starts reeling you in. And that's what he was doing with these disciples. What things? And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. The third day. There's been a lot of speculation about the day that Jesus rose from the grave or when he was crucified. But if the first day of the week is Sunday, you look on your calendars, by the way, and it starts on Sunday, doesn't it? Well, I wonder why that is. It must be a coincidence. No, so it started on Sunday, so go back three days. What do you have? Friday. Or maybe at the latest Thursday evening because they reckon their day on Friday to start on the, the eve of Thursday. So either way, Thursday night or Friday, doesn't really matter, three days. So going on in verse 22, he says, Yes, and certain women of our own company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who, had, who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say, didn't you get the latest magazine in the mail? No, he says, O slow of heart for all of the, that the prophets have told and spoken. Moses and the prophets. Didn't you read those? Isn't it all making sense? Isn't it all coming together like a jigsaw puzzle, guys? And they're like, not quite. So don't be discouraged if you find yourself like deer in headlights. You're not alone. <laughs> he was encouraging their faith just as Jesus today is encouraging yours. So, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, notice this, and all the prophets, he expounded to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have liked to have been in that Bible study. And he didn't have the scrolls with him either. He was just going, yeah, remember in, um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? The seed of the woman? That was me. Remember in Deuteronomy when it talked about a prophet like Moses who would, you know, who would come among your, you know, your brethren and him you would listen to? That was me too. Do you remember in Isaiah 53? Or do you remember in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That was me. Remember in Isaiah 9, verse 6? He was called this, the son who was born. This, For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. You mean this child is Almighty God and the Everlasting? Yes, it is. That's me, Jesus said. 
And he goes through and he lists all these things. And can you imagine these guys? They probably had flies in their mouth because their mouth was hanging open. What? Yeah. It was all about me, Jesus said. And then verse 28, then they drew near the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further and they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is spent. And he went and he stayed with him. Verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table and broke bread with them. He took bread, excuse me, and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. He vanished from their sight. Isn't that amazing? The Lord showed me something really interesting yesterday. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, when he gave the bread, that maybe just like the disciples the night before, you know, that he had wine or whatever and they had communion together. It didn't say that, did it? It just said that he broke bread with him. And the reason is, is because in Matthew 26, remember when Jesus that night, when he broke bread and they took communion for the first time together, where he, he broke the bread and he passed the wine and he said, this is the new covenant, my body broken for you and the blood, the wine is the blood of, my, of the new covenant. But you notice that Jesus didn't, all he did was break the bread. You know why? Because in Matthew 26, that night that he took, that he did this with his disciples before he was arrested, he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I think, I think that's awesome. Going on now in uh, Luke 24, verse 32, and they said to him, one another, did not, did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road? And, and, while he opened the script, and, how he, and while he opened the scriptures to us, and so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven, and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then notice now in verse 36, and, and this is um, speaking of that evening in the upper room where the disciples were gathered. The same day after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus himself, he stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be to you. Those are pretty good words. Because no doubt they were freaking out. Jesus died they were in fear of their lives. They went in the upper room. They shut the door. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears before them. John's Gospel, 20 verse 19, tells us that he literally appeared before them. And they were naturally very agitated, wouldn't you? And he says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is my eye myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not, did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, hey, do you guys have anything to eat? <laughs> I love that. See, that's why we call, us, we call this Calorie Chapel. We eat very well, and they're going to feed you very well when, you leave, when, you get, when, you, when we're done here. But yeah, Calorie Chapel, that's what we are. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you 
while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And it's at this time, John's gospel tells us in chapter 20, verse 22, that Jesus breathed on them and they received the spirit of God in them. And then in verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. Important to remember. Do you know even in a court of law today, an eyewitness account has great uh, holding or great standing uh, among, among all the other testimony if somebody is an eyewitness that eyewitness their testimony is very very valuable and if you've got two eyewitnesses you're toast many eyewitnesses saw Christ crucified resurrected and Jesus and God, they, they made sure that that happened. There'd be no excuse for any soul. And you know, that, that's just the love of God, isn't it? He wants to make sure that beyond the shadow of a doubt, you will know. And I don't know about you, but I love assurance of things, especially when we live in a world of chaos. Why do people have insurance? Because they want to have some assurance that when something goes wrong, that they can rebuild it back again. But to have an assurance, God wants you to have that assurance today if you don't have it. It's the greatest thing. And when he supplies that assurance, do you have assurance that you're one of God's children? You can have that assurance. All you need to do is believe. And what Jesus did, what he said, and receive him. Confess your sin before him. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I want to receive you into my heart, God. Change this life. Change this life. And so, and then he goes on here just really quickly. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so after Jesus' resurrection, he was on the earth for 40 days. And then 40, on the 40th day, he ascended into heaven Ten days later was the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out upon the church. That was the promise of the Father, that the Spirit of God would come into us. Now believers would be indwelt with the Spirit. A very unique relationship in the church, the Spirit indwelling you. Turn with me to Romans 6, because this is where our time together this morning is going to take a different turn. Now, if we believe that, and we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and if you're a believer this morning, and the Spirit of God has indwelt you, then, and you've been baptized in Christ Jesus, I want to ask you about the resurrection life. 
Is the resurrection life of Christ dwelling in you? Are you allowing it to work in and through you? Are you an active and willing participant in this process of sanctification, sanctifying you, setting you apart from the world, setting you apart unto Christ? Are we willing to do that? Because that is the glory of the resurrection. Because the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave is the same spirit that indwells each of us if you are a child of God. And Peter tells us that if the spirit of God does not dwell in you, you are not a Christian. And only Christians go to heaven. Yes, that's true. If I don't have the spirit of God in me, then God does not know who I am. But when the spirit of God is in me, Because of my faith in his son, the only means of salvation, the Passover lamb, as we looked at Friday night, Exodus 12, he's the Passover lamb. He passed over, and now we get to have this resurrection life by the Spirit of God indwelling us and giving us this joy and this assurance of salvation. I don't know about you, but I need that today. Are you getting discouraged by everything you see around you? Do you find the world falling apart and finding your heart in shambles? Seeing this great country of ours just fall apart and just be totally ravaged by radicals. Does that bother you? (laughs) It bothers me, and maybe it shouldn't bother me as much as it does, but I do know one thing, that God told us in his word that these things were coming, and behold, they are starting to happen. So what do I do? Ah, that's just coincidence. No, I dig in. I dig in now. I say, Lord, I've been playing a game with you. I've just been going to church and maybe only going to church on Sunday every year. But here on on, on Easter Sunday, I've only only come once a year. And, you know, let me tell you, God loves you no matter what. But you understand there's so much more about this life, this resurrection life that he wants to give to you. And it's sort of like a buffet table that he's rolled out in front of you and say, well, come and dine. Come and dine and eat. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you'll be coming back again and again and again, and he's got better stuff each time for you. Are you willing to do that? But there are those who say, well, I don't want to eat. I'm on, you know, I'm on a diet. Well, that's your problem. I don't really believe in that. I believe in something else. Well, you, can, you have the, the choice. You can do that. that God is not going to fight you. He's going to convince you, he's going to show you all the truth and the facts, and then you've got to make a decision for yourself. Have you made that decision today? I hope that you have, because this day, if you are not a believer this morning, I want to tell you that today could be the most significant day for you. Not only to get saved yourself, to receive Christ, but to know that you did it on on this day. You know, I, I got baptized in the Lake Ontario many years ago. Yeah, sorry about that. But you know what? I was so excited when we went to Israel. I got baptized in the Sea of Galilee. And I think I did it again. I mean, I, don't, I only needed to do it once, but I was so excited. I mean, God, it's like, I'm not worried. I knew it took the first time. But I was so excited. But this resurrection life, what is it doing in your life, Christian? How are you appropriating? How are you allowing that to work in and through your life? Do you know that, that you can, there's three things that you can do um, 
to affect the Spirit of God. Do you know that you can grieve him, that you can quench him? Yes, and you can even resist him. Look with me at Romans chapter 6. This resurrection life. Notice what Paul says to the Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, this old nature, it was crucified with him when we, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to it. And I love what Jesus said in John's gospel. What did it say in John chapter 12, verse 24? Jesus said, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And isn't that what he did? The death of Christ produced an enormous, an infinite amount of fruit. And God desires that spirit of God in us to continue, that's indwelling us, to produce fruit and even more fruit in our life. But we have to be willing participants. It's got to be an act of the will. I can't just say, Lord, I'm going to stick a tourniquet on this spout of your blessings that want to come out upon me. People do that. Do you know Christians do that? They, 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 they give their heart to Christ they, they, in, in a... In a figurative way they they clip off this or they cap up the spout where the blessings come out they want to do their own thing got my fire insurance i'm going to heaven i'm going to live my life like hell people do that and they miss out on everything because they have no assurance because they're living like hell and their life is there's no joy there's no peace and it's not just about what happens after I die. No, it's about now. An abundant life, a fruitful life. That's what God wants for you. And by the way, in blessing you, what is it also doing? It's showing to others that same life. And they're going, I don't know what it is about that person, but I want what he's got. I want what that person has because I don't have peace. I don't have joy. My life's a wreck. My marriage is on the rocks. I'm addicted to some kind of painkiller, and now I've got, I'm about to ready to lose my job. My life is in shambles. It's a complete wreck. But what about this guy? He doesn't have a lot of money, but boy, he walks around like he does. He walks around like he has everything because he does. <laughs> you got everything in Christ. For he who has been freed, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Isn't that what it says there in Romans? Have you ever noticed a dead man struggling with sin? Have you ever gone to a graveside, a grave site of a man who died of alcoholism? And then you take a bottle of Jack Daniels and you set it on his grave? Do you see a skeleton hand reach up through the earth and grab the bottle? He's no longer wrestling with sin. If there's a kleptomaniac or somebody who just is totally absorbed with money, 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 and you set a bag of, you know, a big bag, a big Brinks bag of just unmarked 
you know, $100 bills on top of their grave? Is that little hand going to come up and grab it? No, because they're dead. They've been freed from sin. He goes on in verse 10, For the death that he died, speaking of Christ, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, ah, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, verse 11, reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you reckoned your lives to be dead to sin and alive to God? An honest question, a rhetorical question, Answer that in the privacy of your own heart. Am I reckoning myself to be dead in Christ? And am I walking in newness of life? Paul goes on, he says, Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lust. Has the Lord delivered you from something that you've, you, you, you know, delivered you from something and, and now you're starting to flirt with it again? And now you find yourself, it's even more intense now than it was before? Well, listen, you better take you better stop messing around with it. You need to repent from it. Have you forgotten what a mess you, it, it, that it got you into many years ago? Then why are you playing with it now? Be done with it. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Confess your sin. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And how do you do that? You read this. And you pray. <laughs> and you get into fellowship with people who do. Because Peter tells us that um, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. It's true. Many things that get in the way of your walk with the Lord. Back in Romans, he says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Yes, it is an act of the will, isn't it? Yes, the Spirit of God is in me, but I have to be a willing participant. Do you remember that, 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 uh, that illustration of, uh, that Jeremiah gave of the, the potter and the clay? The potter knows what he wants to do with that clay. He's already got in his mind that he's going to make this beautiful thing and it's going to be colorful and he's going to set it up on the mantle of his fireplace that the cat will knock over three years from then. But he's got this beautiful vase in his mind and he takes this clay, this lump of nothing that nobody wants, he puts it on the wheel. Are you going to be willing to be put on the wheel and let God fashion you? Even as a believer, are you willing to let him fashion you? And see, that is what the resurrection life is all about. Letting God have his way, and for me to cease having mine. I had my own will. I remember it very clearly. I wanted to be a classical concert guitarist. A, classical, a concert classical guitarist. That was my goal in life. And I was on my way. And God interrupted my plan. And I am so glad he did. Because I'm more happy and joyful now than I've ever been. And I didn't even know him at the time. I was just doing my will. My will, my will. <laughs> I did it my way. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't need it. God knew. He says, Rob, I got such a better plan for your life. Is that, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. Is that what you want to do? And I got saved, and I'm like, Lord, whatever you want. I, I, don't even know, I don't even know what I don't know yet. I'm just, I don't have a clue of what I'm doing, what my life is. I, I'm a complete mess, Lord. He's like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> I can take that mess. Can anybody relate to that? Are you a mess? 
Even as a Christian, are you a mess? Or maybe you're an unbeliever and you're a mess. Hey, it doesn't matter. Bring your mess to God and let him fix the mess. He loves messes. Don't clean yourself up and come and say, now you have to accept me now because, you know, I'm looking pretty good. No. He says, come with all of your mess. Come with your mess. Come all to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that the promise? Will you come to Christ today and give him everything of your heart? Give him your soul, your life, the first fruits of your energy, the first fruits of everything. Just give it to him and say, Lord, you do with me and my life whatever you please. I am, and I'm doing that right now. And I tell you, it's been heartbreaking at times because he's doing a work in me. And sometimes, you ever notice this? That sometimes the harder, the, the, when, when, when God is really changing and shaking things up in your life, sometimes it's by a road that is really difficult. Wouldn't it be nice if it was just, you know, a, a nice cake on the table and you light some candles and boom, the work is done. Enjoy cake. No, usually it's the opposite. You feel like you're trudging, like the, you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. But you're not fearing because you know that he is with you. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. Other times you got the mountaintop, and I love the mountaintop experiences. Turn with me to Colossians 3 and we'll end here. But notice, the the very beginning of Colossians 3 starts out with, since you have been raised in Christ. It assumes now that you're a believer because Paul, writing to the Colossians, he was writing to the church, to believers, and he says, seeing that you have been raised with Christ. And then we're going to pick up in verse 5. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he lists them, fornication, Yes, and let me define that really quickly. That's heterosexual fornication, that's homosexual fornication, that's pedophilia, that's you name it, fill in the blank, everything they're creating now. It doesn't matter what it is, it's fornication. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Maybe you haven't committed you know, adultery in, your, in, in, in the physical, but how about in your mind, in your heart? Because that's really where the battle is. Are you aware that there's a battle? There's a battle right now for your heart and your mind. And what are you watching with your, what are you listening? What are you watching? These things have an impact on your soul. It's either going to make you bitter or it's going to make you better. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I've had enough bitterness I want to be better. Why? So that I can boast in myself? No, so that I can boast in him. I can boast in what he has done. All glory to Jesus for what he's done. Amen? I want him to be received. You know, anything good that happens in my life, put Christ on the pedestal. Nobody else. Nobody else. Not your favorite pastor, whoever that is. Your favorite YouTube person. Put all that stuff away. There's one who's on the pedestal. There's one who's on the throne, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Notice he goes on in verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. I almost got Italian there. Disobedience. Disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked. Do you understand that? He's telling them, you used to walk like this, but not anymore. 
But now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. Put off all of these things. The anger, the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, the filthy language out of your mouth. You know, it's so sad to see a person who is a believer and, and, and they've known the Lord for years and they still can't control their anger. They can't control their, their temper. You know, the, the man is still kicking the dog and throwing his phone against the wall. The woman is so, still so angry as a believer. She's still throwing pots and pans, cursing at her husband. Hopefully it's not the cast iron because they really hurt. You know, the flimsy stuff that you buy at Walmart, that's one thing. But when you got, you know, the Wagner, you know, you pull out the Wagner and you better be running. Do not lie to one another since you have, since you have put off the old man, this old nature, this man of sin that still dwells within me. Do you notice that? Paul identified with that. He said, you know what? There's, there's the spirit of God in me, and then there's my old nature, and they're always warring against one another. Have you noticed that? It's true. And which one are you going to succumb to? Which one are you going to yield to? You have the choice, and that's why it is a choice. It's an act of the will. And the resurrection life always gives, yields to the spirit of God. And when we fail, and listen, we all do, don't we? Because we're not perfect people. Is there anybody perfect here this morning? Raise your hand. And then we're going to, you know. <laughs> no, there's no one perfect. The only one who's perfect in the room is Jesus. He's the only one. So we're going to fail. We're going to fault and, and, and sin. But listen, as I go along in this journey, in this process of sanctification, there ought to be a steady change incrementally or sometimes leaps and bounds, but there ought to be this thing, this process of sanctification. Because he says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds. You know, we live in a culture where truth is, is, is put to the side. There's an old saying that says, you know, when you live in a culture like ours, even the past is uncertain because they're changing things. Even the textbooks, you don't know what the past, the past really happened, but we don't know what it is now. Where can you find truth? Right here. That's why we keep saying, get into the word of God. Get into the word of God. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It doesn't matter what, what, where you've come from, whether you're, you're black or white or whether you're, uh, you're Chinese. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what dem demographic you come from. Jesus loves you and he wants you into his kingdom. It doesn't matter. All that other stuff means nothing to God. And it ought to mean nothing to you. That's a bold statement today, isn't it? But it's true. There is no difference between each of us. The Lord loves each of us. We are part of the human race. He loves us all. He redeemed us all. And he loves you with an intense love. Therefore, as the elect, we're almost done here. Thank you for your patience. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, notice he says, put on. Remember he told us to put off some things? Anger, wrath, malice, fornication, all that ugly stuff. Now he says, now put on. Put on the tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, 
Well, call, the, call up a friend and gossip and complain about them. Is that what the Bible says? No. If anyone has a complaint against him, forgive him. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love. And the Greek word there is agape. It's the greatest. There's different versions of love in the Greek language. You and I know them by context. I love my car. I love, you know, um, I love lobster with drawn butter. And I also love God. In context, you know that my love for God is different. I love the lobster with the drawn butter. And I also love something else. But the context tells me agape is the very top love. It's the very best love. It's self-sacrificing. It has nothing, it's not even concerned about what the other may do in, in reciprocation. It's all about sacrificial giving. That is the highest form of love. And isn't that what Jesus did? Sacrificial love. And then let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And folks, believers this morning, Let the peace of God rule your hearts. And this is where we're going to end it. There's very little peace in the world but for a believer who's allowing the crucified life, the resurrected life in their life to allow Christ, the Spirit of God, to shine in and through your life. Will you allow him to do it? If you do, then you will have the peace of God will rule in your heart, to which, notice, you were also called in one body. And then be thankful. And then finally, let me share this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is a good benediction for this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, in all of you, richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do, and here it is, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What do you think about that? I pray that this day encourages your heart. I pray that we will take these things and appropriate them into our life and really just begin Now, because if all of these things are true that we shared today, if it is true, if it is true, doesn't Christ deserve it all? Doesn't he deserve all of my heart, all my thoughts, all my attention? Lord, help me to do that. Help me to do that. And everyone I speak to, and the, and the people, even the people that may, they may perceive me as an enemy of theirs, let me do it for them too. Let me show love to them. Yes, the people who are just grating against you. And folks, I don't know if you knew this, but the church is going through a lot of stuff, isn't it? To love your enemies. Lord, and let's stand and let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for the... We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this resurrection life that you have purchased with your own blood to give us. Lord, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that you would do that work in us. And Lord, help us to take stock of everything in our life today and really examine everything, the, the things that we have, the things that we don't have, everything, and just renew us today. And I pray that today would be the beginning of something really new and special and unique in each of our lives, that there'd be a new page that would be turned, a page of turning away from those things that we know, that each one of us knows that are wrong, and to be turning a page into something glorious that is even yet for us, Lord, that you want to give to us. It's a blessing. It's a gift. Lord, would you help us today?
and strengthen our faith, Lord Jesus, how we love you and how we praise you. May you be glorified in this place and in each of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.